We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. so much for tuning into Weird Distractions Podcast. This is a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate and discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, eerie folklore tales, urban legends, and conspiracy theories to provide you, and more than likely what the creator of nail polish would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. This week is an unsolved true crime case, but before we get distracted learning about that, I have a little bit of housekeeping and my need for a distraction to tell you all about first. In terms of housekeeping, just a reminder that there is a new, even weirder series out now for both tiers on Patreon. For the month of April, I tackled the weird lore around Gore Orphanage. I want to shout out Tyler from That Spooky for covering it on their show, where I first became intrigued about this location. If you're not on Patreon and want to get in on this series, go to www.patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast to see which one of the two tiers works best for you and get some more distractions. As well, I have new merch, so head on over to bonfire.com slash store slash weird dash distractions and then another slash to check out two new designs. Get yourself a hoodie, get yourself a t-shirt. If you're kind of like, hey Alex, I would rather just click on something and go to this website, check out the show notes. There will be a link to the storefront there. In terms of my need for distraction, I would have to say my need for distraction this week is I am starting a new job again. For those who have been tuning in for a while now, you know that back in September of last year, I had started a new job and now I am starting another one in the middle of this month. So I'm a little anxious. I'm a bit nervous to see how it goes. I'm not going to disclose exactly what I am doing, but for those who know, you know, and for those who don't, well, maybe one of these days I will spill the tea. But until then, I think it's time to get into this week's true crime case which is all about mystery. So grab your snacks, make sure your headphones are charged, and get comfy. This week's episode involves a mysterious man, a highly successful Detroit mortgage company, the Orlando Juice baseball team, and embezzlement. Cue up the Unsolved Mysteries theme song as I try and tackle the crimes of Philip J. Breen. Due to potential coarse language and adult themes that some may find disturbing, listener discretion is advised. Not much is known about Philip's early life or who he was prior to marrying Kathleen in the spring of 1988 in Detroit, Michigan. Some sources claim that he may have been born sometime in 1946, but 
who's to say? What can be said is that both Philip and Kathleen have been described as successful business executives in their respected fields. From what I gathered, Philip was an executive at a Detroit mortgage company called Group One Mortgage. Philip's role allowed him to oversee mortgages through the office, but it also allowed him to have the authority to buy mortgages for the company. A former colleague noted that Philip seemed to be kind of a happy-go-lucky guy who was a whiz at the stock market. I very much picture like a Wall Street kind of guy, but not in Wall Street because he's in Detroit, Michigan. So I don't know if anyone's listening from Detroit, Michigan, is there an equivalent? If so, again, let me know. Both Philip and Catherine brought in a good income, and I say that as a full-on assumption, of course, just based on kind of the lifestyle they have been described to have had. They had nice vehicles, they had boats, they had nice properties, they dressed nice, they always just seemed to have it together. And you know what? If they were still together in 2023, they probably could afford groceries, for crying out loud. They just financially seemed to be in a really good place. Philip, who has been described as 5'9 with dark brown hair, seemingly made Kathleen believe their marriage was picture perfect. In a direct quote from the Unsolved Mysteries website by Kathleen, quote, There were a lot of things that were really great about him. I think it was his sense of humor was one thing that I thought was really great. And we were crazy about each other. I mean, I really love this person and I believe that he really loved me. And I believed... I could trust him, end quote. As we know from previous episodes, unfortunately, sometimes the ones we love turn out to be people we barely know. But before we talk about the big plot twist in their lives, let's back up as I need to kind of paint more of a picture of Philip and Kathleen. After almost one year of marriage to Kathleen, Philip reportedly purchased the Orlando Juice baseball team franchise. The team was one of others that was formed by the Senior Professional Baseball Association. Basically, it was a new league of retired baseball players. If you are from anywhere in Canada, or maybe this happens in the States or anywhere else, who knows, but take this as kind of your beer league, but with actually good people that used to play in, in the major league. So. It's, I'm assuming, for fun, but also maybe not just for fun. I'd like to think they're all having fun doing this. One website named Fun While It Lasted noted that Philip initially stepped in with with an offer of $550,000 as a startup loan. However, the league allegedly vetoed the proposal. Later on, when St. Lucie Legends owners reportedly ran out of funds, it was Philip that swooped in to help by recruiting a friend named Lenny Wolf, who would become an angel investor. From other resources, it's been noted that Philip put out a total of $700,000 down for the Orlando Juice team. This would amount to roughly $1.7 million in 2023. By the end of 1983, Philip's investment had skyrocketed to more than $2 million, which in 2023 would be around $4.8 million. Someone please cue Money to Blow by Young Money. I would, but you know, copyrights and stuff. Despite Philip's continued financial commitment to the team, he seemed to be kind of struggling with maybe how deep he was in this investment. According to the Unsolved Mysteries website, Kathleen seemingly noticed Philip was, in her words, running himself into the ground. 
Burnout is a real thing, and I can't imagine the amount of stress one could manage as a head at a mortgage company and an owner of a new baseball team within a new association. Not only that, but just the amount of money he had and that was kind of coming in and going out, that's stress in and of itself to deal with. As time went on, the presumed honeymoon phase between Kathleen and Philip began to end and rough waters were on the horizon. Philip allegedly began spending way more money and was drinking heavily, which was seemingly out of character from Kathleen's knowledge of him. This could have been in response to his new or ongoing stress, but nonetheless, it wasn't going well. Then all hell broke loose in December of 1989. It turns out Philip's company was doing a routine audit of loans and came across the ones that Philip had done for various companies. It turns out that some of the companies that Philip had allegedly set up mortgages with weren't actually real companies. And the ones that were real companies, from what I gathered online, they had fallen behind in payments and all of Philip's work seemingly screamed, red flag, red alert, this is not good, this is not legit. Not only that, but the money that was being quote-unquote dealt with by Philip seemingly went nowhere. Although there were destinations on paper when they were double-checked by the actual accounts or by transactions, it's as if the money just disappeared. Based on this, the mortgage company Philip was running suspected him of embezzling upwards of $240,000. All the while, Philip and Kathleen were on a Florida vacation, returning on a Friday in early January of 1990. Upon their return, supposedly Philip's office had continuously called for him at his home, and perhaps not initially knowing what was going on at first, Kathleen did supposedly notice something was amok with her husband once they did arrive back at the family home. Kathleen stated in a quote, He looked very upset. I mean, he had a funny expression on his face, and it frightened me to see him freaked out like that. He had records piled all over the floor, papers were strewn all over. That evening, he revealed to me that he had somehow been the victim of people selling phony mortgages, end quote. Philip allegedly told his colleagues that he would get to the bottom of this situation, promising that he would talk to the people he was dealing with and assuring his staff that there wasn't a problem. In summary, to both Kathleen and the Group 1 mortgage company, Philip painted himself as the victim in the situation. So he comes home, he's confronted by his company because of all these weird mortgages and these weird files that they came across that basically painted him as embezzling all this money. And his response is, it's, it's not me. I'm not the problem. By the following Monday morning, Philip apparently promised Kathleen he would have everything figured out and resolved, trying to perhaps calm down any post-weekend anxieties. Philip would reportedly leave their home at around 8 a.m. that day to go to work, but he never actually went. When Philip didn't return home, fear and concern probably grew in Kathleen. During her own investigation, Kathleen noticed that Philip had taken some of his clothes and luggage from the house. He seemingly packed up in the morning and just vanished. The FBI was brought into the situation shortly after the discovery of the suspicious accounts made by the mortgage company, and in part due to Philip seemingly dodging any further calls from his employer. Referencing the Fun While It Last website again, During the FBI's investigations with the Group 1 mortgage company, they discovered the money Philip was scamming the company was a lot more than they initially thought. And a direct quote from that website, quote, 
The ensuing investigation revealed that Breen's scam to be much larger than the 240000 originally detected. First, Oakland Mortgage and Franklin Mortgage were fictitious entities conjured by Breen himself. The mortgages that Breen purchased from them were imaginary. But the funds paid out to Group 1 were not. They went to Breen to fund his baseball investments, boats, vacation homes, and a brokerage account with $1 million stashed in it. Even the 400000 that Wolf put into the Legends turned out to be Breen's dirty money, which Wolf seems to have interpreted as either a gift or a loan. End quote. It sounds as if Philip had made about 100 or so fake loans in total in the span of two years. In another big old plot twist, the FBI also discovered that Philip had a criminal past dating 12 years prior to this incident. Turns out our buddy Phil had been convicted for fraud and embezzlement in Florida. Referencing directly from a Orlando Centennial article, quote, While living in Lauder Hill in 1978, Breen was sentenced to nine months in jail for embezzlement by bank employee, created a fictitious mortgage, according to federal court records. Details of the case were not available because the court file is in archives in Atlanta. So, totally different state. Due to all of this coming to the limelight, Douglas Hardy, chairman of Group One Mortgage Corp, proceeded to sue Philip. Completely blindsided, Kathleen reportedly took her lawyer's advice and decided to file for divorce of her now missing husband. Another article I came across mentioned that Kathleen would eventually go on to sue Philip for $10 million. But unfortunately, this was all a little too late now that Philip was missing. In the Unsolved Mysteries episode that covers this case, clarified that by the time that Kathleen was filing the divorce papers, the courts were already claiming she was legally responsible for Philip's debts. Kathleen was forced to sell almost everything in order to outweigh his debts, and basically she was left with this entire financial mess that he left. What remained for Kathleen was more than likely a mountain of questions. Who was Philip Breen? Why did he do this to her and to others? And where the hell was he? Philip has been missing since January 8th of 1990, aka a whopping 33 years. If Philip was born in 1946, it would mean that he would be in his late 70s come 2023. Now, there have been alleged sightings of the mysterious Phil in both Florida and the Bahamas during the early 1990s, yet it's hard to say if this was him or not, and there really wasn't anything further taken from these, quote, sightings. Based on resources I came across, Kathleen and his daughter believe that Philip is now deceased, either due to his alcoholism or association with dangerous criminals. I mean, you can't really live a fast and wild lifestyle forever, and he was in his 40s when he went missing and when all of this went down. Further from online resources, it's been stated that Philip's daughter has indicated he was declared legally dead in 1997. Now, I did come across some theories online as to what may have happened to Phil that I wanted to mention. I'm going to highlight that these are, again, theories not cold hard facts until proven as such by officials. One theory is that Phil may still be alive but under a new identity and may be surviving on embezzled funds. Another theory, which seems like a little bit of a stretch to me, suggests that he may have been murdered by a swindled victim and be an undiscovered or unknown John Doe. It's a possibility, I know, but to me, you'd think that they would have made that connection by now. 
The theories I've mentioned have been weighed in on by someone online claiming to be Philip's daughter. I am saying claiming to be his daughter because the information is on an online forum and I don't know, I'm a little skeptical about things said on those platforms. But nonetheless, I'll share what was posted on a June 3rd, 2010 forum by user Purple Clover MI, aka the individual claiming to be Phil's daughter. Quote, Don't believe everything you hear on television. Unsolved Mysteries pays people so they have something to air, so you only get partial information. Number one, Philip Breen was not an alias. I should know I am his daughter. The reason I am not mentioned in the program is because my stepmother didn't like me or the rest of his family, so she did not include me, my mother, his seven brothers, or his parents in the story. Number two, no, he was never caught. However, because he has been missing for more than seven years, he is legally declared dead. I doubt anyone is still looking for him. Number three, he did not have his exit strategy planned from the beginning. The only reason he did any of it was because he thought he could get away with it. Number four, he is not a physical threat to anyone. He was never violent ever in his life. And five, the last little fact on this list is, chances are that he is dead, but not from suicide, probably from cirrhosis of the liver. And then in brackets, he was a big drinker, but very alert while drunk. Very weird. End quote. Speaking of the word weird, let's wrap up this week's Weird Distractions episode. The destructive path Philip has caused has affected those both emotionally and financially. In total, Philip has embezzled a total amount of around $10 million back in 1990, which in today's funds would be over $23 million. In a 1992 article, Philip was under a federal indictment charging him with bank fraud on top of his other lawsuits. At one point, the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corp. had offered up to $25,000 for information regarding to Philip's arrest or recovery of his assets. Considering the time that has passed, if Philip was ever found, he may be saved from his crimes due to the statute limitations. According to the law offices of John D. Kirby website, quote, for most bank fraud crimes like theft, embezzlement, RICO crimes, forging, counterfeiting, or similar, the statute of limitations is 10 years. However, some RICO or conspiracy crimes may have a longer statute of limitations because they involve more than one type of crime or a pattern of crime that occurs over many years. Fraud against various insurance companies or other financial institutions also carries a statute of limitations of 10 years. When a bank fraud crime is combined with other crimes, this statute of limitations may be longer, depending upon the type of crime. End quote. So what do you all think? Let me know your thoughts on today's topic over on the podcast social media accounts or shoot me an email. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming Weird Distractions or any podcast on a podcast platform that allows you to leave a rating or review, please consider leaving a rating or review because that is the best way and 
the cheapest way, because it's free, to support your favorite podcasts. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an episode is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find Weird Distractions over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and on TikTok. Do you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month? Why not join one of two tiers over on the Weird Distractions Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content, such as bonus episodes and bonus series, such as the Even Weirder series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early and ad-free access to regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to www.patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Susan, Jennifer, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you and appreciate your support so much. Without you, Weird Distractions may not be what it is today. Lastly, I want to hear from you. I would love to collect your stories of paranormal encounters, too close to home true crime cases, maybe even some weird MLM experiences, or maybe just in general weird things that you've encountered so that I can continue to release the Listener Distraction series. And you might be tuning in for the first time and you might not know what I'm talking about. This is a series that Christy and I originally started where we would read your personal experiences on air. If you have a story you want to share, please email me at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections needed to be made after today's episode, please let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye.